0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics,
1: Alberta's line in the sand. We're not going to sit and wait while they break the law drag their feet, make us take them to court, spend years creating economic uncertainty for our investors.
0: Premier Daniel Smith invokes the province's Sovereignty Act, sending a message to Ottawa to back down from its proposed clean electricity regulations. Coming up, we will speak with Alberta's Utilities Minister. Is this just a game of political chicken?
1: And… It's a dubious piece of legislation. actually sets up a fight that doesn't need to be there.
0: How will Ottawa respond to Alberta's political challenge? We will speak with the Natural Resources Minister, Jonathan Wilkinson. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Alberta is drawing a line in the sand, invoking the province's Sovereignty Act to oppose Ottawa's Clean Electricity Regulation. Although where it goes from here is still a big question.
2: Premier Smith said herself yesterday that uh, the Sovereignty Act is a largely symbolic gesture. You don't take someone
0: to court for something that's symbolic.
1: He will learn that if he does uh, not back down from his outrageous and unconstitutional targets of 2035, it'll be more than symbolic. We'll proceed with developing our baseload power on natural gas with the best available technology and we will make sure that uh that uh, we are able to, to uh, shield any corporation from, uh, from any kind of, uh, of criminal liability, whether that means that we have to de-risk it by being the generator of last resort, or we have to purchase some of those plants so that we operate them ourselves so that we're able to continue on with having a, 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 a reliable power grid. So, uh, there's, th- this is just the indication that we're moving on this. We're not going to sit and wait while well, they break the law drag their feet, make us take them to court, spend years creating economic uncertainty for our investors, we're going to start commissioning those plants now because we need them now.
0: Well, we're now joined by Alberta's Minister of Affordability and Utilities, Nathan Neudorf. Uh, Minister, thank you for joining us today. Thank
3: you very much for having me, Michael.
0: Listen, I want to begin with the why here. Why has your government decided to trigger the Sovereignty Act, uh, you know, the proposed regulations that you're addressing? They're not yet finalized.
3: Nothing has been passed. So why invoke the Act now? I think we needed to make sure that Ottawa understood that Alberta is different. In terms of our electricity grid, we're the only province that has an open market. So we we don't have uh, some of the abilities that other provinces have. In, in what they're able to do and work with the federal government. And we just felt that the, the, the federal liberal government was not understanding this key difference. And we needed to make it very, very clear that we needed to protect our generators and all of our electricity consumers within Alberta from these huge uh, proposed changes and we needed to send that signal early so that the federal government would take it seriously and continue to work with us to find solutions that we could both agree to. Okay so, so is this in your point of view a legal move a
0: constitutional move or basically laying down the parameters that you want Ottawa to respect?
3: Well predominantly it's a constitutional move because we believe that it is completely clear within the constitution of Canada under section 92 that the jurisdiction for electricity generation falls wholly to the province so we wanted to establish that fact before we we went further on other communications and then of course we wanted to provide legal protection for our private generators uh, that they would have an understanding of how Uh, Our government will stand up to protect them and their long-term investments uh, that were at threat with some of the proposed CER uh, regulations. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, Minister Guibault says, uh, because again, they are proposed, not yet passed, Uh, Minister Guibault says Ottawa still is open to making changes in the regulations, So, so, so why not work with Ottawa, continue working with Ottawa before moving on the Act?
3: Well, we do want to continue working with Ottawa, but again, this comes to an understanding where we just uh, completely felt time and again that they didn't understand the unique nature of Alberta's electricity market and how this would impact private generators. Uh, Having to implement extremely expensive technology that in some cases not fully proven out uh, in a very restrictive time frame means that our electricity generators are going to pay extremely high prices, or some of those generators might in fact pull out of the market, leaving us at a a generation deficit, which would potentially lead to brownouts or blackouts. Neither of those were uh, acceptable alternatives for Alberta, and we needed to send a very clear message that if the federal government was not willing to consider these unique uh, characteristics of Alberta that we were prepared to to step in legally uh, under the Constitution to protect all Albertans and specifically our generators here in our province. Mm-hmm.
0: You, you know when you say that you weren't hearing uh, your concerns being reflected back is that a criticism of the bureaucrats that are negotiating this or is that a criticism uh, of the cabinet ministers in the Trudeau government that, that you're concerned with right now?
3: I think it's both uh, again just the conversation, the dialogue. Obviously, our uh, deputy ministers and bureaucrats coming back and reporting what they hear. There, there's consistently a, a misunderstanding and, and a lack of the the unique unique natures of Alberta and our electricity generation. For one, and then also with the ministers' responses, we would we would say something and and not hear a response. Or we've had the the Supreme Court decision. We've had the the federal court decision, both siding with the Constitution and Alberta. And yet, the language from federal ministers doesn't appear to change, and and that's why we, we continually get frustrated. We see our, our terrific neighbors in Saskatchewan uh, making some legislative uh, moves that they can do with a provincial Crown Corporation. That option's not available to us because we don't have a, a Crown Corporation in that manner. And again, so we just needed to send a clear signal of how serious we were that this needed to happen so that future conversations, uh, we hope that the federal government will really start listening and making some substantial changes.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, mentioned Saskatchewan and the very fact that they have a Crown Corporation and of course, the uh, motion introduced by your government. It also uh, will look at the feasibility of creating a Crown Corporation. What would that ensure? The continued creation of gas-powered electricity? What exactly are you trying to achieve with that?
3: Well, predominantly it's a tool of last resort. We don't want to uh, go in that direction. We feel that we're being pushed in that direction. So as I mentioned earlier, there is a a future possibility that some of these CER uh, positions may not change, which would require sort of a, a cliff for GHG emissions at 2035 now private investors and private generators have two options one is to put a substantial amount of money in or they can just turn off a, an old asset and and walk away from it both of those are potentially very very difficult for the government uh, one how do we invest if they do want to move in that direction we, we don't want to be picking one generator over another or uh, if they leave an asset and we lose generation that we currently have uh, leaving us in a deficit position How do we pick up that asset? Having a Crown Corporation would allow us to potentially purchase that. It would allow us to potentially work in partnership with private generators. Again, we hope that we don't have to use that, but I would rather have a tool in the toolbox ready to go should we need it than not have it and then uh, set future governments up for a, a very difficult time of scrambling to find out Uh, what's gonna happen in the future. This gives certainty to our industry that our government is there for them and wants to work with them to find a solution while we chart a reasonable and predictable path to a a carbon neutral future. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, quickly running out of time here, Minister, but, but I do wonder, are you at all concerned of putting provincial employees in any type of legal jeopardy by essentially instructing them to defy federal regulations if and when they're passed?
3: Well, I think the Constitution protects us. We, we point out every time that we can that we believe the federal government is is the lawless one in this case. The, the Constitution is very clear and we want to put that, uh, that clearly in writing. The federal government will know a position and if it would happen to go to uh, courts in the future, they would have a very clear understanding of where the province is standing on that. And likely it's not about the provincial employees it is likely the the premier and and the minister in charge that would have to to face that and and how they handle that uh would be for the courts to decide if it gets that far
0: minister neudorf good to meet you thank you for this
3: thank you very much michael appreciate your time today
0: well let's continue the conversation and reach out now to the federal minister for natural resources jonathan wilkinson minister thank you for joining us this evening
4: Not at all. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, the Alberta Premier, uh, she's been talking about her opposition to the 2035 net zero target for electricity for quite some time. She's even funded a national ad campaign against it. So are you at all surprised that they would trigger the Sovereignty Act over the issue?
4: Well, yes, I am surprised, uh, to be honest with you we uh, we set up a, a working group with Alberta um, to actually work our way through some of the the, the thornier issues that exist um, between us and and certainly one of the big areas of focus was the clean electricity reg uh, that working group has now met five times four of which were actually focused on the clean electricity regulation and that pro that uh, that working group has actually made enormous progress there's been good conversations I think we both understand each other better and some of the concerns that Alberta has I think are being addressed as we think our way through through that. So I was very surprised because uh, the premier nor her folks uh, gave us any indication that they were thinking about doing that. And in fact, it from my perspective, it looked like we were moving closer together towards consensus than um, than previously had been.
0: Okay, it's interesting you say that, because we just spoke with an Alberta minister, and we heard it from uh, Danielle Smith today. Uh, part of the reason why they say they are enacting the Sovereignty Act is because they believe, despite these discussions, acknowledging that there are things that Ottawa and Edmonton have, have come together on, they say that when it comes to clean electricity, you're not hearing them. And that's the reason why they are enacting this, because they want to be very clear about their message that they cannot meet the 2035 target. So so what do you say to, to their concerns that you're not listening enough?
4: Well, I would just say... Um I think it's unfortunate that they would say that because I I don't really think that's true. Um, They keep talking about 2035 deadline. And while Canada and all G7 countries have an aspirational commitment to a net zero grid by 2035, we all, including the United States Environmental Protection Agency and their regulations, have put in place flexibilities within that that allow for um, some, some areas where we know there is going to be a need for flexibility to avoid things like stranded assets. And so in the current draft of uh, of our clean electricity reg, it'll, it provides that if you build a natural gas power plant in 2023, anytime up b- before the end of 2025, you can run that plant unabated without carbon capture for 20 years. That's 2044, 2045. And Premier Smith says she wants to be net zero by 2050. So it's not that big a gap. And so that was what we were working to try to close. So when they say that we're not listening to them, I just say that's not true. There were several areas that we have focused on at the table where I think we have learned things. They have learned things. We have been coming together. And and at the end of the day, I think this is uh, ultimately a victory of partisan politics over good public policy, which is, in my mind, a real shame.
0: Partisan politics. So So you don't think that this is actually based on anything more than that?
4: I think that there are some differences between us and we are work- we had been working in good faith to try to close those. Look, we, we did the same thing with Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, which both have challenges with respect to getting to a clean grid. And what we did was they had two premiers who had, uh, had the courage to stand up and say, okay, let's work together to try to figure this out. And we signed agreements with both Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, saying that the federal government will work with each of those provinces to ensure that we can actually get to a point where this is workable. It's workable in terms of a grid that's reliable. It's workable in terms of a grid that's affordable. But it's also workable in the context of it being non-emitting. That's important for, from fighting climate change, but it's also important for building the economy of the future. Like industrial, um, activity is going to be in future industrial activity is going to require access to clean energy. And so it is in Alberta's interest to move in this direction. They know that. Um, and, and I just say this is, uh, this is a, a, a victory of partisan politics and, and silly political games, um, rather than good public policy where, you know, you sit down in a room and you actually try to figure out solutions instead of throwing sticks across the table.
0: Okay, to be clear, the, these uh, clean electricity regulations, they've not yet been passed, they're still at the proposal level, but already we're hearing Premier Smith call your regulations uh, unconstitutional, electricity primarily within provincial jurisdiction. Are you? Uh, is your government overstepping here?
4: no i've I've heard Premier Smith say that. look, i I used to be a constitutional negotiator, actually, for the province of saskatchewan. um and so I'm reasonably familiar with the Constitution. Um I would say that under the uh, the uh, Canadian Environmental Protection Act, that's uh, pretty well established law that the federal government has the ability to regulate in this area. Um, And there is no constitutional power that a province has to simply ignore areas that are within federal jurisdiction. So, no, I don't think this is a constitutional issue. Um, I think this is actually an issue of good public policy. And, you know, I think thoughtful leaders will find pathways to achieve um, outcomes that will actually recognize the constraints that a, a province like Alberta is under but also a a pathway to move forward. And, you know, look, the the working group is going to continue. Um, We're not walking away from the working group. We think it's been enormously productive. Uh, We want to work with Alberta. We want to find pathways to agreement rather than actually having arguments. Um, And I look forward, continue to try to find those pathways. As I say, I think we've made a lot of progress, but we still have a ways to go. Okay, so
0: is there then an official response? Will there be an official response to the invocation of the Sovereignty Act or will Ottawa just ignore it?
4: Well, my response is, at the end of the day, we recognize electricity is an important issue, and we need to be trying to find pathways to work together. Um, And so my focus is on doubling down and trying to find those solutions and those pathways and leaving aside some of these other conversations.
2: Okay.
0: Well, Minister Wilkinson, I appreciate the time this evening. Thank you for that. All right. Thank you very much. To the issue of Pharmacare now, as the NDP is saying it has not abandoned hope of reaching a deal before the House rises for its holiday break. Introducing and passing a bill this year is a key condition of the NDP's supply and confidence agreement with the Liberals. But with just under three sitting weeks left in 2023, reports of moving that goalpost have started to appear. Still, the NDP House Leader Peter Julian says discussions are ongoing and his party remains committed to getting Pharmacare in front of Parliament. The reality is that the government needs more time, they're going to have to provide more help to Canadians. And, and that is something that we will continue to push on. The, for us for, us, for us, for us, the most important thing is actually helping Canadians, and and Jagmeet Jagmeet Singh has been very clear about that from the beginning. Uh, We have the results, we have the receipts. If you look over the past, even the the past 11 months, uh, you can see the difference that New Democrats have made, and we're going to continue to push on this. Canadians have waited 50 years. We're going to continue to push so that we can have uh, that foundation of Pharmacare legislation in place. As for the Prime Minister, here's what he had to say about Pharmacare talks today. We have been committed to doing that, uh, but we want to do it in, in working with the NDP. Um, they've had uh, discussions with us. Um, you know, we're ready to go, but we're we're open to talking with them to try and make sure that it's uh, it's as ambitious as we can as we can uh, we can do in, in the right way. People are paying too much for uh, for medications in this country. They shouldn't ever have to decide between paying for rent or food or and medications. Uh, and that's uh, that's what we're working on together. Time now for a look at the other stories making headlines today. The question of Canada's defence spending came up once again at NATO headquarters as the Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Joly arrived for meetings with allies.
3: Canada is still not fulfilling the 2%. You talk about action, why is that?
2: Well, Canada is now
4: increasing its military uh, defence spending, particularly we're heading uh, the uh, Latvian uh, NATO forces. Uh, We're working right now on the defence policy update and we will increase our uh, defence spending.
0: Jolie also spoke about the ongoing violence in the Middle East, saying she welcomes the additional two days to the pause in fighting in the Israel-Hamas conflict, but added both sides should further extend their truce. Ottawa is being called upon to open up the competition to replace its CP-140 Aurora maritime patrol crafts. Today, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, along with Unifor, joined the premiers of Ontario and Quebec by saying Ottawa should not rely on a sole-source contract to replace the aging planes. Defence and government officials have reportedly been pushing the Liberals to award the $8 billion contract to Boeing makers of the P-8 Passage. But the procurement minister says no decision on the future of the fleet has been made. The Royal Canadian Air Force plans to retire the CP-140s in 2030. A group representing First Nations salmon farmers in British Columbia presented their plans for the future of the sector on their traditional territories today. The Coalition of First Nations for Fin Fish Stewardship brought its message to Ottawa, sharing details on its framework to help communities thrive socially, economically and culturally while also revitalizing the wild salmon population. The Coalition has presented its plan to the Federal Fisheries Minister and is calling for investments in science and technology to keep salmon fishing in their communities.
3: Most importantly for a lot of our communities is the food security and affordability, not only of ensuring that there's enough wild salmon for us to continue as we have customarily for thousands of years, but to continue that the healthy protein that we produce is available to all Canadians at a a manageable price.
0: As we noted, the Foreign Affairs Minister is in Brussels tonight there to talk about bolstering NATO support for Ukraine. It's something we discussed with former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko at the Halifax International Security Forum. And his message is clear – Ukraine appreciates how NATO countries have stepped
2: up, but his country needs more. We have enough weapons to fight, but not enough weapons to win. But our purpose is not just to keep Russia and to have a positioned war. Our purpose is a victory. The only way how we can finish the war is a victory of Ukraine. And if we do not have this victory, this means that Putin will use the time in between the ceasefire to prepare to produce more weapons, more missiles, more jet fighters, and to attack again. Nobody knows where. Maybe in Baltic states, maybe in Balkan. But Putin, the only way how Putin can to survive is to destabilize. Destabilize region, destabilize continent, destabilize world. How do you define victory against Russia? What does that look like? Two factors. First factor is weapons, sanction, And justice and second factor is uh, full Ukrainian membership in NATO because there does not exist any other form of the security guarantee than NATO you remember that we talk about Israeli type of the security guarantee which was granted to the United States G7 to Israel does they stop attack of Hamas on uh, Israel in the Middle East? No. That means that when Russia ruined all post-war security mechanism based on the Security Council of the United Nations, that means that we have only one instrument. This instrument for sustainable security situation on the continent. And the name of this mechanism is NATO. What we need to join NATO that all NATO member states to support it, we need two things. Thing number one, reform. Ukraine should be prepared for the NATO membership. By the way, the list of the reform uh, compared with the membership in the EU and membership in NATO is 85 or 90 percent the same. And with that situation, my request, which I uh, present here, was please. Our partners, all the NATO member states, uh, from General Secretary, please give us the list of the ten, eight, or maybe five, the most important reform: anti-corruption, security sector, rule of law, and legal reform. These type of things, which was easy, accessible. And I promise you, I do my best to make this reform and to present it for assessment before the washington summit and the question of the reform and reform of ukraine would be successfully finished because this is in our interest we do it not for american not for canadian or not for nato and the second is the article five and article five they say that it is not possible to have it during the war please give us an invitation on washington summit and put the special agreement that the uh, full membership of Ukraine in NATO would be first day of the peace. It would be enough for us. It would be very strong motivation, and it would be guarantee for security. And that and would have country. an impact on this yeah, war, undoubtedly. Without that, even more. Without that, nothing happens. How it does it have peace. an impact
0: on the war? If if you are able to have full membership the first day of peace, how would that type of signal?
2: change the war for Ukraine? Because I have no doubt that with new technologies, with new weapons, Ukrainian armed forces would be the same successful as 640 days. Please do not follow the Russian narrative that Ukraine loses losing the war. This is simply not true. No, No any NATO member states can demonstrate an offensive operation without air dominance like Ukraine did no nato uh, countries can demonstrate successful naval operation without navy as ukraine did and no nato countries can demonstrate the effectiveness of the uh, counter-offensive operation when russia have a bigger number of troops than we are bigger number of artillery than we are bigger number of the ammunition than we are and even in this situation, our army, our armed forces make a miracle and demonstrate the progress. Please, don't lose an optimism. And just keep in mind that Ukraine uh, and Russia, what is the difference? Russia is fighting against whole world and Ukraine is fighting for whole world. Russia is demonstrating because they expected that the democratic countries is weak. And that's why authoritarian Russia can win war like that within 72 hours. We demonstrate that democracy is stronger, undoubtedly. Just want to remind you that before the war, Russia spent from 60 to 80 billion dollars as a military budget per year. Do you know how much Ukraine spent? Four. And even with that situation, and four under my presidency, before that it was less than two. And even under my presidency, we stop Russia. We make free from Russia two-thirds of the occupied Donbass. We stop Wagner team which with number of almost 30,000 fighters. And that was not a prisoner from the Russian prison, but that was the most prepared uh, Russian soldier who were trained uh, especially for attacking in Ukraine please believe in ukrainian victory please, because that victory would be victory of canada victory of us victory of the whole free world and the last argument somebody speak about the money today my answer would be the cheapest way to win the war would be support ukraine give weapons of ukraine and give an invitation to ukraine to nato Very simple, three steps.
0: Former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko. Now, he is just one of the many leaders and policymakers who we met at the Halifax International Security Forum. To see all of the conversations we recorded, go to cpac.ca and look for the program Profile. Those interviews are all up now. And that is Primetime Politics for this Tuesday evening. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow night. But up next, STB avec L'Essentiel.